0: On the show today, a German email provider is told to rewrite its code to permit government spying. Microsoft wants to score how well you pay attention during your work meetings. Two school systems are forced to shut down due to ransomware. Our scam of the day tries to convince me that I'm getting a brand new iPhone. And today's tip teaches you seven steps you can take to protect your email accounts. All of that and more is coming up on the December 7th, 2020 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host Jim Herman. I have three stories on the news beat for you today. We begin in Germany, where a court decision has forced email provider Tutanote to add code that permits government surveillance of accounts. One of Tutanote's main selling points has been that its email is stored in encrypted format, and only the recipient of those emails can decrypt them. However, despite the company's objections, the court is forcing the company to store emails in a format that can be decrypted going forward. The case involved in this decision concerns a blackmail email that was sent using a Tutanote address. The court says that the provider must create a feature before the end of the year that will allow police to surveil the mailbox. While the company wishes to contest the court's decision, the court has not offered any opportunity for delay while higher courts hear the case. So Tutanote has been forced to begin development on this feature. The company says that at least for now, this feature will only affect the mailbox involved in the court case and it will only affect emails sent or received once the feature is deployed. In that case, if the criminals have half a brain cell or more, they'll just sign up for a new account somewhere else and never visit that mailbox again. In other news of new features, Microsoft filed a patent for a system that will monitor the body language and facial expressions of employees during meetings and provide the employer a quality score for the employee's engagement. The patent was filed in July, but was made public this month. According to the patent, sensors will monitor who attended a meeting, the body language and facial expressions of the participants, the speech patterns of each person as they speak, and the amount of time each person spends contributing to the meeting. The patent also mentions that employee devices could be used to monitor whether employees were engaged in other tasks, such as checking email or browsing the internet. Obviously, Microsoft put a positive spin on this patent, saying that the technology could be used to identify problems that could improve the quality of the company's meetings in the future. However, many privacy and workers' rights advocates say the technology is far too invasive and is a step back for the rights of workers. In other news, there's two school districts that aren't meeting this week, either in-person or online. But it's not due to an infection of COVID-19, rather it's due to an infection of ransomware. Both the Baltimore City Schools in Maryland and the Huntsville City Schools in Alabama were closed last Monday and Tuesday after ransomware began infecting systems at the schools. The Baltimore school system reopened on Wednesday, but Huntsville school systems remained closed for the remainder of the week. These two school systems are just the latest victims in a plague of ransomware attacks that have hit large organizations over the last few years. Neither district has commented, on whether it paid the ransom or is restoring the system from backups. But given the amount of time it's taken both districts to recover, it's likely they've chosen to restore from their backups. And now we move on to our scam of the day. Today's scam arrived in my inbox a few weeks ago. The subject line read, We're about to send your Amazon order. Confirm, please. The email address was suspiciously a junk email address. Once again, as I read the content of the email, I'll be protecting my email address by substituting email address in place of my actual address. The email reads, Amazon.com order confirmation. Hello, email address. Thank you for shopping with us. You ordered two of iPhone 11 Max Pro. We'll send a confirmation when your items ship. Details, arriving Friday, November 15th through Friday, November 23rd. Ship to, email address, United States of America. Total before tax, $899.57. Estimated tax, $20.42. Order total, $930.99. Confirm, not my order. We hope to see you again soon. Amazon.com Now, first of all, this email arrived on November 26th, so the estimated shipping date of November 15th through the 22nd is obviously incorrect. However, you may have noticed that it says Friday, November 15th. In 2020, November 15th was a Sunday. Maybe they meant that it would arrive on Friday, November 15th, 2024. That will keep you waiting for a while. However, do be aware that these types of emails are scams. A friend of mine in the cybersecurity world told me the story of someone who came to him after receiving one of these emails. Believing that the email was a legitimate Amazon order, the person had deleted everything from their account. It was the right action to take if the email had been legitimate. So be aware that there are fake emails floating around, and if you think someone might have accessed your Amazon account, check your order history first. If you encounter a scam that you think we'd like to talk about on the show, send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for our cybersecurity op quiz. Each episode, I'll ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is multiple answer, which means that any combination of these answers could be correct. The question is, which of these are good steps to take to protect your credit cards in case you lose your wallet, a. Know whether your bank has the ability to turn off your card temporarily. b. Write down your credit card number and store it under your keyboard at work. c. Save the contact number for each card in your phone. d. Store your card number in a secure place where it is still easily accessible, such as in your password manager. or e. Keep your social security card in your wallet with your credit cards. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode, but if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash pop quiz to find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 2 in February. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode is released at 8 a.m. on Monday, December 14th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash rules Regarding last week's question, I must first give a word of apology. I misspoke a word as I gave the question and I didn't catch it while I was recording the show, editing the show, or even giving the show a final listen. So the end result was that there were actually two correct answers given on the show. The question was, which of these is not a best practice when you are connected to Wi-Fi at a hotel or coffee shop? A. Make sure you are connecting to the correct network. B, Mark the network as a private network. C. Use a VPN to provide extra security. Or D. Do only what is necessary while on public Wi-Fi. The correct answer was supposed to be A, but because I said private instead of public, B was also a correct answer. You should use a VPN for extra security, and even if you are using a VPN, you should still avoid doing anything that you don't absolutely have to do when you're on public Wi-Fi. You should tell your computer that you're on a public, not a private, network, which will mean that the computer will make some changes in order to give your device extra protection. When you mark a network as private, your computer might allow connections from other devices on your network. Finally, you should always make sure that you're connecting to the right network. You don't want to just connect to any open network that's available. You don't know who could be controlling that network. It could be spying on all of your communication or executing other attacks on your device. How much do you use email anymore? With so many forms of communication available, such as texting, social messaging, chat apps, and more, it's easy to not think too much about your email account. However, that email account still holds the keys to your entire digital kingdom. If someone can get to your inbox, they can steal password reset links and change your passwords to virtually every account you have. We'll have more on how you can protect your email account when we come back from this short break. If you have a cybersecurity question you'd like to know the answer to, you don't have to wait for an episode about it. We want to hear from you, whether it's a question you have or a comment you want to leave us about the show. You can reach us by email at info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or you can leave a voicemail at 859-968-9399, option 2. We'd love to hear your feedback or your questions, and we will definitely consider them when we discuss future topics or changes to the show. Plus, if we select a topic based on your message, we'll be sure to recognize you in that episode. Once again, that's info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or 859-968-9399, option 2. Your email account is a central part of your digital life. Even if you don't prefer email as a communication tool, you still probably have an account so that you can sign up for accounts at other places. That means that if someone gets access to that email account, they can gain access to all of your other accounts through password resets. That makes your email account one of the most valuable targets for online criminals they could probably access at least 90% of anything that they want if they can just get into that email account. Plus, add the information that someone could learn about you from reading the emails you've sent and received, and your email account probably becomes the most valuable thing you have online. So today, I want to give you 7 ways that you can protect your email accounts. First, set up a recovery email account. If you forget your password, your email provider won't be able to send you a password recovery link because you obviously don't have access to your email account in the first place. A recovery email address provides a second email account that that information can be sent to. This gives a second place to send password recovery links or information about how to recover your account if it has become compromised. Second, take the necessary steps to secure your account. If you haven't listened to it already, you can go back to the three-part series we did on how to secure your accounts in episodes 6, 7, and 8. But the basic principles for any account definitely apply here. Use a good password and enable any extra security features you can. If your email provider offers two-factor authentication, it's always a good idea to enable that too. This will require an additional form of verification before someone who knows your password can access your device. Also, pay attention to security questions. Security questions weren't an awful idea when email first became popular. But after so much of our lives have moved online, it's hard to create security questions that other people won't know the answer to. In my opinion, security questions need to join the dodo bird as extinct. But many places still rely on them. Unfortunately, some email providers have been very slow to remove security questions. Part of that is because, as I mentioned earlier, Password reset links aren't possible, so they have to come up with a different way to verify your identity. However, guessing security questions have led to a number of high profile email leaks. In 2008, Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin had her email account accessed by someone who researched the answers to all three security questions. It took just a few guesses before he was able to answer the questions the same way that she had when she set up the account. So if you're faced with security questions, I recommend that you don't answer them directly. Now don't just type in junk, because you might encounter the need to answer them someday. For example, you could make your answer Main Street, Main Street, Main Street, Main Street, or you could even make it Main Street spelled like a lion's mane. Regardless of what it is, you can save the answers you gave in your password manager so you don't forget them. And now that you've protected your account with a recovery email, a strong password, and good backup methods, you can move on to step number three, using temporary email accounts. There are multiple ways you can accomplish this. One of the easiest methods is to set up a second email account that you use online. That way, if that email ends up being sold to spammers, at least it's not your primary email address. If you have a Gmail account, you can accomplish something similar with just your one email address. Many people don't know that you can add a dot anywhere before the at in your email address, and Google's mail servers will still direct the mail to your account. So j.imherman. J.im.Herman and j.i.mherman all go to the same address. Then, you can set up email rules that will automatically filter anything with a specific dotted version of your address to automatically go to a separate folder. That way, any messages that come in to that version of your address won't clog up your inbox, but the emails will still be available for you if you need them. Finally, you could also use a service that provides temporary email addresses. These addresses are usually just strings of random characters, and most of these services will receive emails on that page for a short period of time before later reporting back that the email can't be delivered. This is most useful if you're just trying out a service and you aren't sure if you want to keep it. If you're signing up for a permanent account, I don't recommend using this method because you won't receive notifications or password reset emails. However, if you're on a site that you think might be a little sketchy, or you just want to try out a site without committing to receive emails for the rest of your life, this can be a useful service. If you want to see my recommendations for temporary email services, you can view them at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com Slash recommendations. Fourth, only sign in to your email from safe devices and on safe networks. Unless you absolutely can't avoid it, don't sign in on a public device such as at a library or a public network such as at a coffee shop. You never know who might have installed viruses, keyloggers, or other malware on the computer or who might be lurking on the network trying to steal your information. If you do need to access your email while you're out, use your phone or connect your computer to mobile data rather than using public Wi-Fi. Fifth, you may want to turn off automatically loading images and other external content. Images are one way that email services determine if you've opened an email. The images in an email generally aren't stored within the email itself. They're uploaded to the web, and then the email says to download it when you open the email. However, the link can also send back a unique string that will indicate who opened the email. The legitimate use of this feature is to track the open rate of marketing emails, but this is also used by spammers to track when they've hit a legitimate email address. By disabling loading of external content, you can open the email and view the content without sending anything back to the original sender. If you do want to download the images, you can then click a button to load them without too much difficulty. This is an easy way to control when someone knows you've opened an email, which can help keep you off of spam lists. Sixth, be careful what information you send through email. Email wasn't designed with security in mind. Security had to be retrofitted over the existing infrastructure. While steps have been made to make it more secure, it's still possible that what you send could be intercepted and read while it's in transit. Therefore, don't send passwords, credit card numbers, social security numbers, or any other sensitive information through your email. Use a more secure form of transmission for this type of information. If there is information that you must send and make sure it's secure, you and the recipient can consider using a tool like PGP. PGP stands for Pretty Good Privacy, and it's a way to encrypt your email content before you send it in a way that only the recipient can decrypt it. You'll need to use an email client on your computer and then install an extension in order to use PGP. PGP is often used by journalists and those in oppressive countries in order to be able to exchange information without fear of snooping. While it can be a challenge to set up, it's not too difficult to use once you have it configured. And seventh, consider leaving the free public email services for a private email service. You don't have to settle for this kind of tracking. There are other options available that won't track you, and they may even make your email more secure. For example, I use an email service that encrypts all of my emails as they come in. If someone manages to hack into their infrastructure, that person still wouldn't be able to read the emails from the server. Plus, the service I use is beginning to roll out additional features to rival what the free services offer, such as an online storage system, a calendar, and a VPN. Some of these services do offer a small free plan, but you'll probably need to be prepared to pay for them eventually. I pay $8 per month for my email accounts, which includes five email addresses. That means I'm paying one price for my personal email and my podcast email accounts. That price also includes a calendar and a VPN. In my opinion, that is a very reasonable price to pay for better security and privacy. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, and come back again next Monday when we will discuss how you can remove your personal information from people's search sites. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.